Well, that's Jesus. That's about as far away from K-pop as we could hope to kind of get in an intro. The book is about like an actual opera singer, Clee. I mean, what what else exactly was I supposed to do? No, no. It's, it's just saying, like, for someone that's like had a K-pop awakening. I did not have K-pop awakening. Jesus Christ! Yeah, uh, she came out as a sugar stan. I mean, you all saw the messages. We we, we did see the messages, uh, Kay. I, I was caught up in the actual moment. I was being held hostage. <laughs> like it's not. A bad thing, Katie. Uh, I think you'll find the Stockholm Syndrome is a very bad thing, Sarka. <laughs> like, Min Shuga has, like, the time or the inclination to hold you hostage, Katie. Uh, hey. <laughs> oh, oh, are we a little bit insulted, Katie, at the insinuation that your new bias wouldn't be, like, into this weird kidnapping fantasy that you cooked up uh, now? Oh my god, Chloe, like, do not class me as a K-pop fanfic writer. Don't you, like, put that on me, man. How dare you? How <laughs> Dare you deride the K-pop fanfic? Nay, the entire fanfic movement. <laughs> did, did you just like say nay? Well, yes, yes, I did. Uh, quite appropriately, I might add, given the seriousness of this conversation. <laughs> fanfic, fanfic, Katie Morphy, I'll have you know, is the sole means of sexual awakening for millions of girls worldwide. Millions, Katie. You. Hey, Katie. Oh, come on. What? Like, dude, you've never read like a Harry Potter fanfic ever. Why would I? Why would I do that? Or like, I mean, all the Naruto you've watched, and you've never wondered what would have happened if Kakashi and Rin could have made it work. But like, but like, what about Obito? <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, no. Ah, <laughs> uh, here I rest my case, man. I don't. DC fanfic can be pretty great. You know, went down a whole. Harley Quinn, Python Ivy, Wormhole a few times. Hot. Right? Like, is that, like, the first time, like, you would have, like, been reading about, like, girls, Kleena? Uh, uh, um. Well, no. Uh, I think... I think... Well, maybe, yeah. Like, I think when I was, like, thinking about how weird it felt, talking about fellas on yeah, here. because I remember when we did like that episode on Rachel's holiday, you were all like, oh, Luke's a riot. I was thinking about that the other day. Yeah, like, it was, yeah, it felt strange. Like, I guess, like, I don't know. I certainly wasn't, like, I don't know. Like, like I, I, like, I know the character is, like, good looking or, like, masculine anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, no, no, I, th- I think that, like, yeah, folks can, like, talk you into being attracted to people. Not that, you know, you were, like, being talked into attracted to people. I just, I, like, I, it's just, it's happened to me where, like, mates were kind of like, oh my God, Sarah, you, you flirt with him all the time. You know, you absolutely love him. You know, about some guy that I'm just, like, mates with. And then suddenly you're, like, sitting next to Fitzy Connors in the cinema, like, really wanting some popcorn to break the awkwardness. But, like, he's got it on his lap and you're pretty certain he's got, like, this raging boner. Whoa. Specific. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was a pretty specific um experience. I don't I don't really know why I shared it. Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> but yeah, I was yeah, I suppose I'm asking Kleena, like like was your first like solo <clears throat> sexual experience to like Whoa, oh my God. DC fanfic. So just to just to make make sure that I'm um I'm understanding I'm understanding. Um you're asking me if I a newly out gay woman if uh, if I have ever masturbated to Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Ship, 
fanfic. Yes, yes. Is da your material of choice when you choose to rub one in? Oh, but Chloe. Oh my God. Dude, like, I expect that level of gross from Sarah, but not from you, man. Well, like, just to just to clarify, it, it absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Chloe. Oh my God, that reminds me. Oh no. No, 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 no. This has to do with K-pop too, so we're still on topic. Oh no. <laughs> so, so me and Sarah, we were we were talking yesterday about the, the Blackpink comeback. Oh my God, that song slaps so hard, dude. <laughs> right? Oh my God. Like, but the thing is, I don't know, I don't know how we ended up talking about it, but, um, what? Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> no, like, like, okay, okay. No, no, no. So, like, like, do you ever think, right, about the fact that, like, Blackpink, like, get their period? Well, I mean, that's just an excellent point. <laughs> but no, but like, isn't it really weird to think of like, you know, Lisa from Blackpink, like having like day two cramps? Yeah. Yeah. Or like swollen day minus one ditties. <laughs> ditties. <laughs> but yeah, like, or, or like freaked out that she's going to like bleed through her designer dancewear. Dude, Sarah, this is like way gross, man. Like even for you. You're being way dramatic there. Okay, remember the time she gave us the blow-by-blow account of that ingrown hair she dug out of her, like, underarm situation? It was, like, two inches long, man. It was, like, so good. <laughs> there is no way. It was two inches long, Sarah. Pictures are it didn't happen. Don't encourage her. You know, I should have taken a picture. Oh, my God. Why are you so gross? <laughs> Do you think, though? Do you think Blackpink are, like, too you need to have their period though oh yeah that happens doesn't it yeah don't you need like a certain amount of like body fat or else you stop producing estrogen progesterone lady hormones ah you can do better than that Sarah lady effluent hormones oh my god <laughs> <laughs> no yeah because like don't they like dance and practice like every day and stuff you know and like they don't eat much because they're like super tiny yeah, I don't know that I'd be able to handle that. You know the way you just get like really tired and pissed off and just want a chicken fillet roll? <gasps> oh my God, they would never be allowed to have a chicken fillet roll. Oh my God, that's the saddest thing in like that actual world. That's so emotional. Dude, right? Like, like, and, like they'd have to work out on like day one and two. Oh no, that, that is actually a human rights violation. So painful. Yeah, and like nerve wracking. Like a wet sponge wrapped in spandex using a rowing machine. Oh, God. <laughs> Why would you say that? Why, why, why would anybody say that? That was, I don't understand. That was especially gross, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. You know what? No. You guys are all talking about this like it's a bad thing. But I mean, we wouldn't be talking about this super, super feminist subject if I didn't have superhero grade grossness. So we should be leaning into it, is what you're saying. That is exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> right. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I I wonder. Oh no. What <laughs> it's like to have oh, you know no. staff that could uh, take care of the day two crime scene situation. Yeah, like uh, Blackpink would. They earn enough to have people just to take care of that. I don't. 
I don't, I don't want to know. So, so you know, on day two. <laughs> oh God. Oh <laughs> so God. you know, on day two, and it looks like someone was was stabbed to death in your bed. Yeah. And and the murderer kind of dragged the body around for for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And, and then and then they they sort of cleaned their hands and and murder weapon on your sheets to make sure that all of the DNA evidence is is all I in one place. Get it, Sarah? Jesus. <laughs> Okay, I don't know if I'm okay with this conversation, like, at all. But I genuinely hate when that happens. So, like, but actually, do you know what? I'm pretty sure that, like, Lisa from Blackpink has, like, never woken up on, like, day two in a crime scene situation. Like, no one with that actual face could have that happen to them. Hmm. Lisa from Blackpink waking up smelling of things. <gasps> oh, my God, I haven't watched that in forever. Ever. Like, it's one thing to talk about Lisa from Blackpink getting her period, but Beyonce. But, I mean, we have proof. We have actual proof. She put the actual images in our minds. She is... Oh, my God. She's such a genius. I, I genuinely can't. I just can't. What? I just can't. Er, I can't. Yes. Talking Bill. Lemonade. The album. Was... But there's subliminal period messaging in Lemonade. If there is, and I missed it, I'm officially, like, <laughs> pissed, man. <laughs> Kind of. Like, didn't you watch the film? The one on Netflix? That wasn't Better Not Period. <laughs> no, no, that was Homecoming. This is Lemonade. So, yeah, when she released the album, there was a visual album. I think there's another one coming out for her next album. So exciting. But, like, yeah, there was this, like, film situation that, like, went along with it. Do you know what I mean? Like, the music videos, they just, that they made up, like, a story. Hasn't she done that for, like, a few albums? No, 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 no. This time around it was like a whole film like made up of these poems that like tied the music videos together it like made that together they made this oh my god it was just the visuals the po- oh my god it was amazing yeah like the poems are by this girl uh Warson shire she's like 30 or something and she like writes this poetry that's just like it'd blow your mind man but so like beyonce just like calls her up and asks her to like write a bunch of poems well, i mean if you got that phone call wouldn't you I wonder if they're available anywhere. Well, Bustle did a transcript of them after the film was released. Oh my god. Oh my god. Do you have them? Are you going to read them? Like, I, I could. You're going to read poetry about Beyonce having her period on air because I was gross. Like, no, seriously, like, was this my purpose in life? Like, is this what I was, like, put on earth to do right now? You're being new Sarah on the radio and it's weird. Yeah. Yeah, like here is like usually where we have old Sarah, old kind of proper Sarah. But like now we've got new kind of laid back gross Sarah. It's weird. Did you like, did you kill her in your, in your lady? No, 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 don't even, don't Uh, even, don't even. She'll say something like way grosser. Um, okay. Um, so we'll, uh, Saoirse, you're going to read some poems about the actual queen of the universe menstruating. (laughs) Um... I guess um, but no 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 like so you know like the album as everybody kind of knows was about marital difficulties in the, in the Yonsei household we are all familiar with this yes 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 like I actually can't handle how he was out there banging when he had like Beyonce at home being an unquantifiable right but like whatever it, like it actually defies comprehension. But, like, that's what's so unbelievable about, like, the opening of Lemonade when she's, like, singing about, like, wanting him to know she knows there's something wrong, like, wanting to get his attention but, like, not being able to. <gasps> like, I just... I just can't. 
right? Is there like a point to how dramatic you are? <laughs> Don't you tell me how to grave closets, Dan. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the film is just like, yeah, all about her experience of what that whole situation was like right from the beginning of, you know, yeah, her beginning to suspect and getting depressed and angry and everything. It's, it's insanely good. Like we're in this wormhole right now because Sarah was thinking about some K-pop girl group Blackpink Black okay fine Blackpink yeah because Sarah was thinking about the fact that Blackpink get their period every month even though they may not even though they may not oh was that was that a question should I answer as old Sarah that you know was really uncomfortable and got stuff wrong all the time or as new Sarah that's too gross for words uh like, here N- no, no. new Sarah, obviously. Yeah, new Sarah. Because I don't know about our listeners, but I find your grossness incredibly endearing. Yeah. Which, you know, is uh, is troubling. <laughs> well, you know, troubling or not, you know, now we get to raise the cultural bar of the show, all because, you know, new Sarah thought it'd be cool to bring up, you know. But, you know, Blackpink have bled through their knickers at least once. I couldn't have put it better myself. I, I couldn't have put it like that at all. Um... But anyway. <laughs> um, oh my god, oh, this is so exciting. Yeah, so yeah, this is, I think this is uh, the opening for like the second song. And then it kind of moves on. Like, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, this one and this one. Okay. Oh my god, it's so exciting. <gasps> I tried to change. Closed my mouth more. Tried to be softer. Prettier. Less awake I mean it's better when it's Beyonce but okay um less awake fasted for 60 days wore white abstained from mirrors abstained from sex slowly did not speak another word in that time my hair I grew past my ankles I slept on a mat on the floor I swallowed a sword I levitated, went to the basement, confessed my sins and was baptized in a river. I got on my knees and said, Amen, and said, I mean. I whipped my own back and asked for dominion at your feet. I threw myself into a volcano. I drank the blood and drank the wine. I sat alone and begged and bent at the waist for God. I crossed myself and thought I saw the devil. I grew thick in skin on my feet. I bathed in bleach and plugged my menses with pages from the holy book, but still inside me, coiled deep, was the need to know. Are you cheating on me? Are you cheating on me? She sleeps all day. Dreams of you in both worlds. Tills the blood in and out of uterus. Wakes up smelling of zinc. Dear moon, We blame you for floods, for the flush of blood, for men who are also wolves. We blame you for the night, for the dark, for the ghosts. Oh my god, that's so amazing. Oh my god. Oh my god, no, sit down. You are sitting down. Yeah, I am. Can you sit down even more when you're already sitting down? Oh my god, man. Oh my god, will you send me that link? It's not a link, you have to buy it, but I'll let you access my iTunes. Okay, so I think that still might count as like raising the cultural bar on the show. Stop you? Like, yeah, like, 
<laughs> poetry is pretty cool. Like, yeah, like good poetry, like new poetry. Do you write poems, Katie? What? Well, like, don't you tortured woke types all write poems about how the world needs to change, you know, slash, you know, your sexual misadventures. What, like the fact that she ain't getting none? Chloe, dude. <laughs> Chloe, man, that was that was a bit mean. It was, wasn't it? Like, it I'm, was. I mean, yeah. I'm socially distanced right now, Chloe. Like, how exactly am I supposed to get off with anybody when I'm, like, completely masked up? That is that is an excellent point, Katie. That is, I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Okay, all right. Once we're all cleared that, you know, if we weren't currently, you know, in quarantine, I would be knee-deep in... Willies. <laughs> Gentlemen callers, man. <laughs> if... It wasn't for the current pandemic. Yeah. Crystal clear, okay. Okay, good. All right. Uh, Sarah, let's uh, let's crack on. Huh? Oh, yeah, we have to talk about a book. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, this week, um, we have another book that's, uh, that's only just out, ladies and gentlemen. Hey. Uh, this one. Okay. This one comes from a longtime supporter of the show and just, you know, all around beautiful human being, uh, Susan Lanigan. Oh, my God. Oh I love Susan, man. Yes. <laughs> So for anyone who's not familiar with uh, Susan and her work. Which is a low-key crime, by the way. Real talk, lads. <laughs> We've got, okay, we've got a um, bit of an introduction uh, coming up. Uh, Katie, want to want to recenter and uh, give us the lowdown? Yeah, yeah, I think that would be a nice way to forget about all of the lady bits we've been talking about. Um, yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, in, uh, in 2003... Um, Susan Lanigan graduated from a master's in creative writing in NUI Galway. Since then, she has had short stories published in The Stinging Fly, Southward, The Sunday Tribune, The Irish Independent, Nature. Uh, uh, Nature, is that like the science? Anyway, um, Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine ooh, and uh, Mayo News. She has been thrice shortlisted for the Hennessy New Irish Writing Award, like thrice, excellent use of, tr- of thrice there, um, and longlisted and shortlisted for the Fish Short Story Contest, the Bristol Prize and the Raymond Carver Short Story Award and other competitions. Um, and should we go straight into the book, do you think? Actually, yeah, that's a good point. Considering how long we uh, spent talking about celebrity menstruation, I think that is a good idea. <laughs> um, so, for fans of Andrea Levy and Sebastian Barry, the latest gripping saga from Susan Lanigan, Lucia's War. We don't know if it's Lucia or Lucia. We are going with Lucia because that's why. Um, London, 1949. Why am I talking like this? Uh, opera singer Lucia Percival is due to perform her last concert, but she has no intention of going on stage. A terrible secret from the First World War has finally caught up with her. London, 1917. Lucia, a young Jamaican exile, hopes to make it as a musician, but her past haunts her and when she meets Lillian, an old woman damaged by war, she agrees to a pact that could destroy everything she has fought so hard for. From the Western Front and Glasgow to black society in London, Lucia's story tells a tale of music, motherhood, loss and redemption. From the author of White Feathers, a passionate, compelling wartime romance shortlisted for the romantic novel of the year in 2015, comes a new novel telling a compelling story of music, motherhood, race and war. So good. <laughs> no, like yeah, legitimately, like I, like, g- like genuinely belted through it. Like, and while I was reading it, I don't know. Maybe it's because I was reading it so fast. I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. I d- I'm not enjoying this as much as I thought I would. But like, maybe because I just had like really, I was really excited to read it. But like, 
I have not been able to stop thinking about the characters like since I stopped. Oh my god, dude, like actual hard same. Like I sort of like felt like, I don't know, like it's not that I wasn't enjoying it, but like I kind of wanted to know more during the book and stuff. And actually, you know what, that that it kind of makes sense for like why I'm still like thinking about it loads. Like, like I can't stop thinking about Lucia and like Robin, but like not in a romantic way, which is weird. But like, and Ava, Eva, Ava, I don't know. And like, the leg of lamb for some reason yeah yeah i wonder if like we'd have to read like white feathers to get a full handle on oh that. yeah this is like a sequel but it's not a sequel but it is a sequel but it's not but but it really is <laughs> okay no we get it dude <laughs> yeah white feathers happens earlier than lucia's war so yeah white feathers is season nanigan's first book and it includes i think a lot of the same characters so their stories are kind of carried on in Lucy's War without being like at the center of the book so I wonder like is that where that feeling of like oh I wish I knew more about that kind of came from Kay yeah that makes sense actually yeah like I know like if I was reading a sequel and stuff and like I had read the first book like uh yeah it'd really piss me off if like stuff was being explained and I'm like yeah dude like I already know that. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, Actually, you know, we need to give folks a little more information, I think. So so we're set um, during World War One. Did you just like forget that there was a World War One? What? No, 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 I know what you mean, Chloe. Like, like World War Two was like, like a genuine, like, battle of good and evil. And like, you can still see like the imagery and everything around today. Like, you're not allowed, like draw swastika because that's a dick move and like like but what was world war one even about like yeah exactly thank you clean exactly yeah katie what was like world war one even about i don't know i didn't do like history for the leaving search jesus but like i do know that there was a world war one I. I don't like forget about it one comes before two that's just like Numbers. It was the assassination of Franz Ferdinand in Sarajevo by Serbian militants that started the conflict. Austria had annexed Bosnia a few years earlier, and Serbia was super pissed about it. This is super, like, standard stuff, guys. So Austria declared war on Serbia and was later backed by Russia. This is all on Wikipedia. The Germany-Prussia situation. They got all involved because they were all in with Russia? No? Nothing? France was super pissed because they lost the Franco-Prussian War and wanted to stop Germany from taking over all of Europe because, you know, that's kind of what was going to happen. And when Germany marched into Belgium, Belgium pulled Britain out of splendid isolation to fight Germany. Not ringing a bell. So, like, right. So, like, this is, like, 1910 or some shit. And, like, the UK was all, like, self-isolating even back then. Like, Brexit back then, like. Well, like, seriously, it is a Scarily similar landscape to like right now. You like folks annexing places, hoping the surrounding countries won't notice. We see you, Israel. You know, like Britain deciding they don't want to enter into any pacts with other countries because you know they don't want to get involved and they want to look after their own. A pandemic sweeping the actual globe, killing millions. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Spanish flu makes an appearance in the book and everything. Uh, did you know it was called Spanish flu because like the papers only reported the deaths from Spain since they weren't involved in the war like they thought if people knew how many people were like in the military or at home that were dying they'd like lose the will to keep going and stuff shit man like 
all of Europe, the world was like completely devastated, like between the war and the pandemic. I mean, about 9 million combatant deaths in the war and then 13 million civilian deaths and then like resulting genocides, ethnic cleansing that happened afterwards and then the related pandemic. You know, we're talking about another like 17 to like 100 million deaths worldwide. Like, and that's just from Wikipedia. So I mean, it's probably more. Like, I want to laugh at that because that was like a nice throw in at the end there. But that is horrible. Like, genuinely, man. Well, yeah, I guess that all counts as like, I don't know, scene setting. Um, You know, we've got we've got an excerpt lined up, but it's going to be it's going to be on the long side. So, you know, why don't we like take a break at this point and we'll be back in a few with it with a bit more chiclet for life where we'll, you know, actually actually talk about the book. Yeah, let's let's do that. Uh, Hell yes. So this is Bootsy from Two Tours, One Chain. So uh, it turns out that last week's offer for a discount just for our customers of colour was actually super racist. So here at Two Tours, One Chain, we are committed to educating ourselves on race relations and the experiences of our friends of colour. Where's the book? Oh yeah, okay, so me and Jono here are going to read So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijomo O. We're going to learn how to say his name. Um, offers a contemporary, accessible take on the racial, ra- ra- racial landscape, that's hard to say, in America, addressing head-on issues such as privilege, police brutality, intersectionality, microaggressions, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the N-word. Perfectly positioned to bridge the gap between people of colour and white Americans struggling with race complexities. Ah shit, do we have to read this proper? We told Desi we would, he said his man was real upset about the whole thing. Oh shit, remember that time she picked us up after that gig that time? She didn't rattle us out or nothing. Eh, uh, yeah. So we'll be doing that. We still do tours though. And chains. And we'll still be open. Uh, while we're reading. So come on down to two tours, one chain. Air prices cannot be bet. Two tours. What, 273 pages are here? Two tours, one chain. I suppose you're going to want to weigh in on that. Like, I mean, like they 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 want to do the work, you know. You gotta you gotta respect that man. Fair play, lads. Yeah, good on you, lads. I don't have a bike, but if I did, I'd bring it down to you. I would. <laughs> okay, well, two tires, one chain. Um, aside. Okay, yeah, no, fair play, lads. Um, let's <laughs> let's get back to the book that we were talking about. Um, so uh, Lucy's War. Um, we've got an excerpt lined up. So this is actually the the prologue. Um, all of it because like there's stuff it's a little long but like there's all stuff in here that we want to talk about so let's 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 do that um, Clee you haven't done anything reading wise this episode right no no I haven't no but here Sarah you haven't read Anton in a while you're real good at it like here why don't you uh, yeah Sarah you do a really good job with this come on do it do it go Sarah go Sarah go Sarah that's not how that goes go Sarah go Sarah that's how it is go Sarah go Sarah <laughs> so embarrassing man <laughs> I don't know how you can say no to that. <laughs> okay. So yeah, yeah, this is this is the beginning of the book. This is the prologue. Um so yeah, this is pretty much what you go in to see, so we don't need any any um explanation, I guess. Um okay. Um 
Glasgow, 5th of April, 1917, 8pm. The wind on the Firth of Clyde was getting up and it was time to go home. All month it had been like that. Choppy too. Kenneth Reed, captain of the tugboat Mariette, had not eaten anything since his usual cheese and pickle sandwich five hours ago, but still his stomach was jumping upwards. It was no fun being a sailor prone to seasickness. He'd hardly had time to stop for even that bite of lunch and Maudie had promised him a steak and kidney pie when he got in that night. He was more than ready to release his charge, the unoriginally named HMS Endeavour, into the wild and go home to his two-up, two-down in Hutchinstown. It was nearly summer, but a freak blast of poor weather had overcome the British Isles that week, and by sunset, the heavy low sky had little colour. There was a plume on the sea, a persistent drizzle felt rather than seen, only showing itself in the glow of the starboard lamp as the boat continued towards harbour. It settled on his face and hands. Maudie had rubbed tallow over them that morning, but he'd not had time to replenish it, and his skin had a little protection from the elements. He could only hope that, please God, it wouldn't snow again. The Mariette had been busy all that day, towing newborn ships out of the massive Inverclyde complex that stretched all the way from Govan past Lindhouse and Port Glasgow as far as Greenock. That was hard to say. <laughs> West of there, free of exigencies of navigating through a busy port, they powered south, a mighty flotilla. They needed to be. Since the Jerrys had started up unrestricted submarine warfare again, British merchant ships were going down like flies. Many of them had been personally seen out of the harbour by the Mariette, and Kenneth Reed felt the loss of these ones particularly keenly. The names of the new convoy ships were all of a type. Variations of Endeavour and Endurance and Victory and Britannia and Lord knows what. It seemed that the more anxious the British Empire became about losing the war, the more they put on a bold front with their ship names. Fast as they were let out, another row waited their turn in the shipyards, the welders putting the last touches on the armour plate for each one before it was cut loose to slide down to the sea. On the south bank, that was all there was to see for miles and miles. Shipyards and yet more shipyards. 22 miles of them. Full to the brim of men toiling away for the war effort. And women. Girls. That was another change. One among so many these days. Dan Rickards, the first mate, was steering them back to the depot at Govan and as the Mariette made its way between the navigation markers, Reed could smell the city of Glasgow around him. A sulphurous bite, a warning that hung in the salty air, putting dirt into God's good rain. Still, no matter. It was home. It was only a matter of luck that he saw her. At first, it was just a momentary flip on the river's surface that caught his attention. Like a fin, or perhaps a seal, though it was rare for them to be seen this far inland. Too busy these days with all the steamers and warships, not to mention the filth. He dismissed it from his mind. But then, Rickards changed the course slightly so that the light shone out over the murky water where before it had been in gloom. And now he could see a pair of arms that jerked and flailed before submerging once more. Then again, flipping upwards. Then again, vanishing. He knew what that meant. He had seen it for the first time back in 98 when he was on a fishing boat entering Stornoway Harbour and a sudden wave had knocked one of them overboard. Peters. That had been the man's name. Help, help, he cried out while Reed struggled for the life belt. Then he stopped shouting, and all Reed could see were those arms jerking up and down. Then nothing. Then going under. Reed leapt up the steps to the cabin, holding onto the railings as the boat swayed. Dan, he shouted over the roar of the engine. Dan, I think there's somebody in the water. Did you throw them the life belt? No time. Reed panted. He'll drown soon. Need to get him out. Turn around towards Greenock and go back about five yards. Rickard swore and brought the wheel hard to starboard. 
Slowly, slowly the boat turned, the bow cutting a trail through the water. Merely feet away, Rickards cut the engine. It was a good drop, but with the third crewman McFarlane behind him shining the torch, Reed took a breath and jumped into the Clyde. The shock of its cold and filth hit him all at once. He had not thought to take his coat off and it was weighing him down. Christ, he had seconds to spare. He executed a quick front crawl and was soon right up behind the drowning person whose arms were still jerking up and down like a puppet's. Leaning back, treading the water to balance himself, Reed got a hold under both arms, squeezed them hard and gave an almighty tug until the head was out of the water. He pulled it closer to his chin and smelled the salt of a tidal river and the bits of green sea moss that had gotten entangled in the hair. Loosened from all its grips and ties, it flowed over his arms and he realised that the drowning person was, in fact, a woman. Reed struck out back towards the boat, briefly twisting his head around to see McFarlane tie a rope around a winching post and fasten it before climbing over the edge. Rickards hovered anxiously at the gunwale. Reed struggled in the water, the weight of the unconscious girl weighing him down as her head lolled back against his shoulder. Here, here, McFarlane shouted, and Reed swam towards the voice. Shortly after, he saw McFarlane's feet in his eyeline and then his legs descending into the murk, and before he knew it, his aching arms were released of the weight they had been dragging. McFarlane called to Rickards to winch him back up, and as he and the woman were pulled up on board, Reed heard him exclaim in surprise. He waited, treading water until the rope was tossed over once more, and he grabbed it. The sky was inky dark with a show of stars, but no more than a show. The clouds would gather overhead soon enough. His teeth chattered. It was no night to be out in the cold river. He heard shouts and commands as he hung onto the rope, his hands beginning to tire. They were working on the girl. We have a pulse. Bit fluttery, but definitely there. She's no breathing, though. Lungs full of water. We need to give her mouth to mouth to help clear her airway. Reed kept his feet firmly in the lower groove of the Marriott's hull, wedging his boots in so hard his toes hurt. Presently, he felt a tug on the rope. Rickards was pulling him back up. Good job, Captain, he said, and went back to restart the engine. What about the girl? Reed began, but was interrupted by a loud bout of coughing, followed by a slow, horrible creak of inhalation that sounded more like the hinge of death than consciousness re-emerging. The woman was rising to her hands and knees. Her head slumped forwards her breathing noisy and stertorous, which is something I do not know what it means. I assume it means hard. Um, then, after a small hiccup, a torrent of water gushed from her mouth, soaring the deck boards and merging with the spray and rain, followed by more coughing, then something akin to normal breath. Thank God we didn't need the chest compressions, McFarlane commented. A few breaths was all it took. To his horror, Reed could now see that the girl was heavily pregnant, probably about to give birth. Surely no bairn would have survived the near drowning of its mother. Her hair, entangled with riverweed and other flotsam, hung forward over her head. With a gesture of strength, she flung it back. For a moment, her eyes gazed in a lost place and she knew nothing of where she was. Then they focused and she straightened. Her face turned to the harbour searchlight and once again Reed was shocked. Heavens above, he thought. She's black. At that moment she swooned and he had to move quickly to catch her in his arms. The light allowed him a view of her face close to his. Long lashes, generous lips and a nose that was wide and flat. Yep, definitely a coloured girl. Young too, maybe a few years on his eldest at most. Had she been walking by the banks and fallen in? Seemed unlikely, the walls were too high. Had somebody pushed her? Had she gotten on the wrong side of some nasty folk? Again, Reed thought of his own daughter with a stab of tenderness and fear. Vigilance always when you had daughters. What could you do, save locking them up to keep them safe? Better get the lassie below deck, he thought. Warm her up a little. 
With some difficulty, given the list and sway of the boat, he got her into a fireman's lift and brought her below deck, having to swing her shoulder downward on occasion so as not to bump her against the low ceiling. The place smelled of bilge, and trying to keep the surfaces dry and clear of slick was a near-impossible task. There was precious little space in the tug to put her, but finally he was able to offload her into a bunk and pull her up to a sitting position, all the while trying not to stare at her pregnant belly and the terrible future it must be about to foretell. He pulled off his gloves and attempted to dry her knotted hair at the roots with a scrap of towel, as if she were one of his own babies in the tin bath by the kitchen fire. At this, she sighed some more but did not open her eyes. It was only when he felt the gunwale bounce against the pier edge and heard the splash of the anchor descend overboard that she opened her eyes again. Well, lovey, he greeted her, what brought you here? When she finally spoke, he could hear that life had nearly gone from her voice, but there was still a trace of a Caribbean lilt, a homeland thousands of miles away. A mistake, sir. A mistake, Reed repeated, staring down at the face of the woman he had just rescued. Then, with some compassion, well, it must have been one big mistake because you look very lost. To that, she nodded, adding in the same melodious cadence. Yes, I am. I'm lost to God and to my fellow man. I have lost everything. Have you really? Reed persisted. You nearly lost your life, but we found you. By the finest hair of chance, but find you we did. So perhaps God isn't finished with you yet. At that, a weariness spread over her features and she did not speak for almost a minute. Then, surely he wouldn't be so cruel. But before Reed could ask the girl what she meant, her head fell back once more and he was calling for McFarland to get the doctor the moment they came ashore. London, 1950. I've been singing all day, so don't really need a warm-up tonight, but I shall. Because tonight will be special. I have done the same warm-up routine for 37 years. It will fit for this occasion, too, even though I won't sing one solitary note. First, relax the throat. Yes, like that. Make a yawn with no sound. And again. And again. Open your mouth as if you're thirsty beyond belief, longing for the cool, fresh, sweet, bitter tang of orange juice. Then relax the throat again. Take all tension out of your shoulders. Release the neck muscles. Shake your head from side to side. But don't say no when you shake your head. Just blow through your lips, making a rude noise like blowing bubbles on a baby's tiny round belly. Inhaling the smell of his skin like you know in your heart you'll never see him again. Try a few arpeggios of that blowing raspberries exercise. Start on C. Don't force it. Don't worry if you sound like a poppy show, a fool spitting all over folk. Appearance never matters. Then drop the jaw, loosen the tongue, keep them relaxed and open as if you are letting the river flow into your mouth and lungs and letting your mind disengage from the worry of breathing. Never mind that your body struggles for air. Relax into the water. Relax into the darkness. Your jaw should not move as you sing from C to G. Your tongue should hang out as if you are gasping for one last piece of air before you sink. Then, are you ready? This time start on D. You know the note. And you sing in a major arpeggio up, then a scale down, stretch all the ways like an enormous umbrella. Bella Signora. And up to E flat, and then to E, and so on. Bella Signora. Bella Signora. And breathe. Not from the head or the chest, but from the belly. Support the note. 
No note should be forced. It should float. The warm-up is done, and I see below me the music critic is crossing the street. I cannot see his face, but I know him from his sense of purpose, and there he has gone in. He will ring for me soon, and I must meet him downstairs. Begin. After all, you have done this so many times before. In good times, sing. In bad times, sing. In the most terrible times of all, yes, then too, you must sing. The hotel bar. Sir, I know you as well as you know me. I've read your reviews. I've seen how they make seasoned bass baritones cry into their drinks. I have learned the grace notes and rubato of your prose style as you have listened to mine in song. Even the drink you bring to my table is no surprise to me. I guessed a neat whiskey with ice. And here it is. Two? You're wasting your time, man. Plain cold water is the only thing that shall pass my lips tonight. (laughs) What? You don't believe me? I'll show you. I know everything relevant about you, except why you are here. You wrote me while I was in New York requesting an interview, but I do not understand why a music critic would wish to meet me before the performance. Are you planning on criticising my shoes, that I look a little old for these roles? I'm on the wrong side of middle age, I freely admit, but you, you carry the sallow, tired look of a survivor with your thin framed spectacles and oversized shirt. The way you fiddle with the knot of your tie like a schoolboy, I don't mean to be rude, but even feet away your breath smells of metal. And here we are freezing in this hotel bar in the middle of this skeleton city five years after the war and half of London still not rebuilt. I passed the Alexandra Hotel when I arrived here and its roof was only part complete. All you will say in reply to my question with a dipped head and half smile is that you are a connoisseur of the work of Lucia Percival. I'm flattered, I admit. You must be a very sensitive man. Tactful, too. Not a mention of the heavy rings around my eyes, the wrung-out, flattened cheeks of a woman worn out from crying. Look here. I've had some bad news. News of interest to no one but myself about a person of no significance to anyone but me. Just an everyday sadness, told to me by a sorry vagrant. Which means I hate to disappoint you in two days' time when I don't turn up. There you'll be, in your box in the Royal Albert Hall, all curtains and plush red velvet, poised with your little penlight and the conductor, that old Nazi, will come out and say, I regret to tell you that Miss Percival, oh, don't shake your head, everyone knows. Did you know I once sung Wagner to a room full of Nazis? They attended a recording session and I sang in a curtained booth. They didn't see me, nor I them, so they never knew I was not the Aryan goddess they hoped I would be, unless they bought the record. But it was a very limited edition. What? You had it? Oh, you are a devotee. There is one important thing people forget about Isolde, you know. That she was Irish, not German. Kuya, I had an Irish friend once who nearly threw herself off Beachy Head. For love. I talked her back from the cliff edge. Whenever I sing the Wagner, I imagine that I am she and make a run, run, run each phrase like the waves building up and then right on that last G sharp, I throw myself into the big blue air and float for a second before falling, falling, except now there's nobody to call her back to life. Oh, it is a pity. My last performance before retiring for good. Ruined. Gone the vision of myself standing in front of the orchestra wearing a Christian Dior dress of blood red silk with ivory satin roses at the bust. No lie. It's hanging in the wardrobe upstairs right now. Looking hair, Dirk and dinner, him, I, yeah, yeah, the orchestra surging and swelling behind me, but it won't be. 
There will be no evening standard review, no ovation in the Albert Hall, no red dress, no last song of Richard Strauss, no flirting with the conductor. Because I am wild with grief, wilder than poor result. I have no heart to sing now or ever again. You ask what is my story? <laughs> my young friend, I surely cannot tell you. It is too brutal for the readers of the evening standard. If it were an opera, no one would swallow the plot and the censors would be out like they were with poor Mr. Shostakovich. Shostakovich, yeah. And his lady Macbeth. I'm kind of getting emotional here. (laughs) Um, He was writing film scores for a long time after that, poor man. And yet, you've taken up your notebook and pen. You say, tell anyway, your eyes through those spectacles bore into mine like drills. Before you write anything more, let me get something from my bag. You see this crocheted blanket, tiny and worn? I have kept it since 1919. It's so dirty now, but I shall never wash it. And it will go with me to heaven or to hell, whichever destination it pleases the Lord to take me. Probably the latter. But blood fired, there will be a queue and I will recognise a lot of them. And so... Seeing as how you're still here, my opportunistic friend, I might as well unburden myself. Lean in and let me whisper it. I, Lucia Percival, have committed a great crime. I have seen the worst of war. I have loved and lost. I have sung, yes, but that was not all I did. I am glad you ordered that second whiskey after all. Yes, yes, I know what I said about water, but seeing the golden glow of the whiskey in those glasses and bearing in mind what you ask of me... Let me drink it now, quickly. Down in one. The way I did with the absence that night all those years ago with poor Arthur at the Dorchester. <laughs> Since you want to know, let me distract myself from grief. Let me tell you about the time when the first war was raging and my life took that wrong turning from which I have never recovered. Where to begin? Oh, it's not easy to sing it straight. I must do it in false codas and grace notes. See, if you will... A rainy evening in August 1917 and a down-at-heel chamber in Soho. A girl of 21, black, though there is Irish in my family tree, two years out of Jamaica, altogether jaded with life. Three years into the first great bangerang and no sign of an end. Pleasant weather, fresh fruit, fruit, it's hard to say fruit when you're trying not to cry, courtesy from strangers. All lost dreams, rain all the time. Skin with a bloom of grey on the surface. Mind shrunk down. An open heart turned surly as the weather. We were all sick of war by then. Fed up to the back teeth of it. The lying headlines, the obituaries taking up half the paper. The men it chewed up and led left half dead or half alive. The endless posters and rules and rationing and bylaws and Dora. Everything mash up. That was the evening I began to search for my dear sweet one in earnest and the night Arthur Roswell entered my life. That evening is as good a place to start as any. Oh my God, Sarah, are you all right? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's, uh, whew. I don't know if it's because I read it or, or, um, shit. It's, um, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, let's, let's, let's keep going. Um, like, uh, like, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm, like, properly back at, like, that PI's office right now. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty real. 
yeah, 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 yeah. This is the thing. Sarah, are you sure you're okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm definitely fine. I don't know. It's, whew, maybe I'm just a better actor than I thought. Like, for real? Like, that was... Like, and I'm, am I the only one who's like super glad you didn't try to do no accent? Well, like I genuinely can't is the thing, um, and and I'm pretty sure I got a bunch of words wrong, but yeah, I think almost crying, um, kind of covers up for that. <laughs> Very effective. <laughs> oh, <God>. Sir, <laughs> you were saying something. Um, I was, yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, that that was really loud. Oh my god. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're not we're not told we're told loads at the beginning of the book, we're, but we're also like not told that much. Like Susan's like clearly giving us like the opportunity to like work stuff out for ourselves and like fill in blanks and stuff which usually is like so super satisfying yeah I remember you saying before that like you really really like doing that oh my god like for real but like I, like I genuinely can't handle like books that over explain stuff I think it's way way more interesting for you to like go away and have your own experience of the book that could be like like way different to someone else's experience like say that Katie reads the book and she reads something completely different and then if you both talk about it and maybe you both come up with something different again together and if you reread the book later maybe you have a whole different experience again it's like super exciting yeah yeah, that is cool and like I thought then that like you'd have been all over this because like there's a lot of stuff that's like not overly explained like the characters we don't learn a lot about but see pretty clearly yeah yeah Eva and and Sybil are, are pretty good examples of that oh my god I like, think I might actually be in love with Sybil like for actual real I know right and like I think I was just like super interested in them and wanted to know more about them than was actually in this book but you know what and now that we're talking about it and I'm like thinking about all of this out loud like I think maybe I just need to read White Feathers as well because like I bet everything that I want to know or like that I'm kind of conjecturing if that's a word I don't think it is um, about them like I think it's in in that in there in that book so I think I just I probably just need to read that but yeah like long story short I guess Eva and Sybil like Legends. So yeah, reverting to uh, boring old Sarah for a second. I see. Um, come on, <laughs> no, like, um, Eva is Lucia's friend and flatmate. Um, like yeah, there's no way that Lucia would have been able to get a flat in super racist 1917 pre-social media London without a white cosign. And Sybil is Eva's amazingly hoity-toity friend. Gay friend. Sybil's gay. Sarah. <laughs> Chloe. No, no. Like I don't think it's I don't think it's a spoiler because like yeah, like representation is like so important. Like I think we should bring it up here. Like rightly well yeah but like i'm pretty sure eva thinks of sybil as like her friend and not her gay friend just like lucia's her friend and not her black friend like eva's not exactly collecting sylvanian families here sylvanian quarteries what right uh but uh yeah yeah i agree with you sarta uh like yeah considering how people like Eva and Sybil and uh, even even the lady whose name I can't remember <laughs> Lillian <laughs> Lillian given that they aren't like the main focus of the book I've been thinking about them like lots yeah yeah and I think that sort of like points to them being like I don't know like drawn really well as characters like if a character was like super one-dimensional or whatever they wouldn't just like appear in your mind whenever you think about the book you know yeah yeah I did really like how like Eva was like heartbroken and a bit wild with it but like still even saw so, like not that victim yeah yeah like you could say the same for Sybil being gay and like having to keep her relationship on the major DL like she's bitter but like over different stuff like it's not about like the way she chooses to like live her life or whatever she's like she's tough because of what she has to deal with but like 
the fact that she's just got to like get on with it sort of like draws even more attention to how unfair this society is, you know? Yeah, yeah. I thought that about kind of the way race was was handled in the book too. What like that, like Lucia just sort of has to like walk around being black and like nobody wanting to like talk to her or touch off her or nothing like all that shit. <laughs> yeah. That's one way to put it. But um, yeah, it's only when things get like super on top of her. That's that's when she gets upset about it. Like when she's trying to enroll in that music school and the d- girls at the desk like laugh at her because she's like dressed herself up nice to come in. Oh my God, like that was so hard to read. Like they were like sort of saying, look at you, like pretending you're a real person or something. Like, oh my God, like genuinely, like there was like so much of that. Like you could feel other people like sort of recoil a bit when they have to interact with Lucia and, and she just sort of is expecting it and like lets it go for the most part oh my god it's just so sad and then like the baby and everything like oh oh, just, oh my god now I'm getting emotional okay we're, we're, we're all emotional and, and kind of getting muddled here um, yeah Radio Sarah uses words like muddled um, because that's when the book is set and she is a professional <laughs> and how <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so we've got Lucia being hauled out to sea pregnant and we don't know if the baby's okay or not and then we've got her much older so she's obviously survived and she's due to go on stage as a pretty accomplished singer so we know she's done well for herself but what kind of happens in the middle happens in the middle oh my god <laughs> so will you figure out how to speak English again uh, right <laughs> there's yeah there's the time she spent volunteering in France I guess yes 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 that is a good place to start my friend oh like keep going oh okay um yeah so yeah, this is before um, she nearly drowns or whatever. Uh, Lucia comes over to England from Jamaica because she basically wants to be like a classical singer, but at home her mom wants to like marry her off to like the nearest eligible bloke. Like seriously, when did that crap stop? Like it seems like every book we're reading, like everybody wants to get married off like constantly. Dude, it's still going on. You were talking the other day about how your mom was trying to set you up with the young fellow that works in the garage down the road. Like, Oh my actual God, like do you not even talk about that? It's some embarrassing. Like what are we going to do? Go for a walk like six feet apart and then like, I don't know, I show my boobs from my bedroom window or something like how would it even work you are so classy love in the time of corona like I'm not even messing but like is that title taken because like I could genuinely write a self-help book about this shit Katie will you please will you please start talking about our book so that Chloe doesn't start pitching hers that this is a real danger at this point yeah that's, that's a really good call um so yeah Lucia goes to London and it sucks there's there's a war on there's no fresh fruit everybody's so very very racist it's so horrible but yeah so yeah Lucia volunteers as a nurse for wounded soldiers and sort of finds a groove there like she's she's a capable nurse and like even though she's like super wrecked all the time and there are blokes like dying everywhere she kind of like belongs to a certain extent for like the first time since she left Jamaica. Though, you know, Robin might have had something to do with that though. Girls, I have a very serious question about this, okay? Um, Why exactly do I like Robin so much? What's that about? You have a soft spot for gingers? And I am very fond of you, my little country ginger nut. Please don't ever say that again. It is genuinely terrifying. Why won't you just accept my love, like? Well, anyway, (laughs) Robin. Yeah. Yeah. When I was picturing him, I sort of, like, had him a little bit, like, dismay and my dad's from, like, skill. Um, And now he's, like, this big, high-powered executive type. And, like, he's ginger and all. But, and he's, like, he's not even, like, he's all skinny and, like, not tall. Really selling this guy here, Chloe. I'm not finished, Katie. 
But yeah, he's he's yeah he's skinny and not tall. But he's like real smart and like when he's talking to you, he like listens and everything. And like not like I'm not even messing. He like always smells like amazing. Why do we talk so much about fictional men smelling good on this show? It's it's weird. Well, my dad's my parlor is a real person. So. <laughs> But no, I really liked Lucia. Like, we're we're going to go back to talking about the hospital. I've decided. Oh, oh God, thank so you. <laughs> I really like Lucia. Like, getting getting a break from like being on guard about gourd. That was a strange way to say that. Um, about like her race, like all the time. She still does have to be on guard about it. But like, not with Robin, you know. Yeah, like you get the feeling that like how urgent everything is in the hospital like keeps everybody from like engaging in behavior that like wasn't like. Absolutely necessary. So that includes uh, Robin, does it? Well, I call that necessary. Fish, flattery. Oh my gosh! <laughs> okay, so just to clarify, Robin is the aforementioned nice-smelling ginger gentleman, and is yeah, super talented surgeon who requests Lucia assist him, and they um, reach an understanding. Um, of one another pretty quickly, right? Oh, that's a nice way to put it because, like, I do think that that's, like, the crux of their relationship, you know, like, the fact that Lucia, like, challenges Robin intellectually. Like, I know she doesn't have, like, as much education as him, but, like, she caught on to every course. What's wrong with my... It's whatever you have, sir, sir, Sarah, sir, Sarah, <laughs> whatever you have, Sarah, you've given it to me. It's not fair. Um, yeah, the... Yeah, she didn't have as much education, is what I'm trying to say. But, like, yeah, she catches on to everything, like, super quickly. And, like, she's the formidable chess player. Like, more than a competent nurse. Like, she she can hold her own against him in an argument. Like, there's just... There's there's an intellectual connection there that I think is is, is pretty important. Yeah, like, when you compare him with well, Arthur... Uh, hold on a second, actually. So, so Lucia falls for Robin during her time in France volunteering. But at the same time, we're seeing her... So, in the book, like, we're seeing her also a little while later, living in London. Right, and that's where she's living with Eva. Eva? I don't know. And she's (laughs) talking about... Yeah, that's what she's talking about at the end of that prologue bit that we were reading Yeah, that's her talking about meeting Arthur for the first time. Right, so Eva's sort of lost it a bit, but that's because she's lost some... One. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so for that reason, he was like big on seances and communicating with the dead and stuff. Oh, quick plug here for our episode on Anybody Out There by Marion Keys. True. And uh, while they're there, uh, Lucia meets, uh, well, she meets a very creepy WB Yates. Oh my God, first like, of all. I bet he was exactly like that in real life, seriously. Yeah, my English teacher in junior third was a bit like that. Oh, you're messing. Not like all he talked about were like the sexual teams in whatever it was we were studying. Ew. Yeah, like it was Hamlet. Like there were bigger things going on in Hamlet than writing. I mean, if you're going to talk about it, at least, you know, talk about it in the context of misogyny. I take it he didn't. Like usually I'd make fun of you for something like that. But like this time, like I... I don't even want to say I agree, but like I do, like calling your mom a slutbag for the whole Claudia situation. Like, I mean, I get it, a bit creepy, but don't be calling your mom a slutbag. Like, that's just unseemly. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> but, you know, yeah, Mr. Yates and Mr. O'Neill would have, yeah, they've gotten on like a house on fire. I wonder if Yates would agree that the uh, the best place to have sex is the washing machine. Ah, clean. Nope. Third year. First class after double PE, girls, the best place to have sex is a washing machine. Like, 
Like, was I supposed to write that in my junior search? Like, what reading comprehension were we going to, comprehension, were we going to get where I can just drop that particular nugget of wisdom in there? Like, don't laugh about it, dude. Like, did you report him? Like, like, what would I have said about it? Like, he's been there since forever. He'd get a slap on the wrist and I'd have been known as a rat for the next three years. Like, as far as being inappropriate goes, it was a general comment in front of 30 girls. It was weird. It didn't feel dangerous. We let it go. Like, okay, I'm not good with this segue stuff, but like, is it? Uh, like, that? that's a little bit like the whole racism situation that Lucia was dealing with. Or like how she managed to deal with it, kind of. Like there was a ton out of her control that was too big to change and she just had to let it go and work around it, kind of. Is that a segue? Also, why do you spell segue like that? That's not how you say it. What? Why do you have to... Every time you make a good point, you have to ruin it. I am just being my authentic self, Katie Morphy. You leave me alone. You could just authentically make a good point and shut the hell up, okay? I can't believe you think my point was good, Katie. I'm so validated. I just can't with you. I genuinely can't. Like, and and no, like, I do agree. Like, she, she has to let a lot of stuff go because it's, yeah, the system is too big. But, like... When she does push back, and she does, like there's, there are times where even she she pushes back on like the internalized racism that she has, or like her response to to racism that other people, you know, shoot her way or whatever. But like, yeah, like Robin calls her a dark angel at one point, like, and he thinks that's a compliment, but she like tells him to leave it out that like she's like, dude, I know I'm black, you don't have to say it all the time, come on. And like, but he does stop saying stuff like that. And it's like, it's like a huge victory. Yeah, because she doesn't know how he's going to take that. Like, but and and there's, there was another line in there too. I can't remember the lead up to it, but like it's someone saying something about her being like worthless or less than them, or obviously. But like she says, it's not about her hands. And she sort of says to herself, don't, what does he know? These hands are not worthless. These hands have done wordy things. And it's just, I don't know, that that line that I can't really remember, but no, the, the, these hands have done wordy things. That's that's the bit that's stuck in my head. I just thought that that was really like, wow, that's someone who, in spite of being pretty much on the bottom rung of society, and is has all of the like scars and gets beaten up along with that the whole time has like a an awareness of like what's really important she's not thinking about how she looks she's not thinking about anything uh, physical money status none of that like she's thinking about the worth of the things she's put out into the world you know and that's that was like whoa man that is that is full on I don't really know how we follow that up. So I suppose we we get back to Arthur now. Finally! Oh my god, <laughs> man. Like, like, I just can't. I can't. So when we were talking about this, uh, we were talking about this last week. Le- yesterday, yesterday, we were talking about it yesterday. Why do you feel the need to lie, Sarah? You finished the book at seven o'clock yesterday evening. You rang me straight after to tell me your drop theory. Just be real. Be real with our listeners for two seconds. How was she not being real earlier on when she was talking about bodily fluids for everybody? Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Carry on. 
Okay, well, yesterday, last night, really, uh, we were talking about how Lucia has like a pretty close relationship with uh, the drop, the the way Jane Eyre does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like as soon as like she steps away from like her constant vigilance about her behavior in public, she like she's open to have it all taken away from her in a second. Yeah, exactly. So like that's this is something we talked about um, in our episode last week about Jane Eyre. Um, and it's something that we saw in this book, too, that like these characters that are not usual in the 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 their surroundings they've got this additional pressure on them to be constantly aware of who they are and how they don't fit in so that they can kind of align themselves sort of twist themselves into a shape that fits somewhat with with their surroundings and and have people allow them to live in the society that doesn't suit them and the thing is as soon as they take their eye off the ball on that they lose something important or some things important. Um, that doesn't make much sense. But uh, syntax-wise, emotionally, I think it does. But um, yeah, and there's and the feeling of, of just kind of realisation that, oh no, I, I let my happiness carry me into a place where I could lose things. Um, yeah, we call, we call that uh, the drop. Um, and we, we, we saw Lucia deal with it too. Um, so yeah, the, 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 at that creepy creepy seance with uh, creepy creepy Yates um, Lucia meets this other gentleman who is ever so handsome and ever so elegant and well read and did we mention that uh, he was black oh my god that's what she says in the you need to keep your voice down people are listening to this dude <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry Kate I'm sorry is that quiet it's like enough? the shittest ASMR ever yeah yeah oh well um, but yeah, <laughs> he's uh, that's our main man, Arthur, isn't it? He's he's American, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's from he's from the south, I think. Um, or maybe I made that up. Anyway, um, yeah, Arthur is from um, when we meet him. He's part of the London intellectual elite. Um, so like there was there was this intellectual like elite salon uh, in those days called the Coterie, um, sort of like a gang of intellectuals that you hear about, like say like the West Bank in Paris in the fifties. What beatniks? Oh, Katie's mates. I like genuinely have no idea what you're talking about. And you know what? It shows. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you're grand I'll send you some search to read you'll be fine so you really do read philosophy Chloe yeah what you all thought I was spoofing when I said I read well tried to read play it all that time 100% yeah, <gasps> yeah. oh um, my I, I am betrayed girls <laughs> I am wounded <laughs> would, would, uh, would sharing your thoughts on uh, Arthur that I stopped you from sharing uh, earlier on um, help with, with uh, that? Hmm. We'll give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, okay. So, like, Arthur, he's all about Lucia from the get-go, yeah? Like, he hears her sing at the seance and decides, like, she's absolute coachery material. So, like, Obs, the coachery that Sarah was talking about earlier, was, like, a white people-only situation. So, like, folks that weren't led into the stupid racist coachery set up their own group for talented, like, black folks called the Coterie of Friends. Ooh, that is a very weird way to say that, but... You think that the name, moving on, thinking the name might have been like a dig at the distinctly un 
friendly racist coterie yeah like probably but like I didn't think much about that because I was a lot more interested in uh, Big Roy D. Arthur song yes <laughs> yes I feel you were going to tell us something of your thoughts about um, Roy Arthur versus Ginger Snap Robin you are absolutely right Sarah I was look at you what you're listening to me so yeah so like what was interesting is yeah okay um, Robin yeah and Lucia, they meet in this real high strain situation where it's all like last days on earth and like, like real, like dramatic and all. And like, it didn't make sense for them to just get caught up in this crazy physical affair thing. But, but girls, like we were saying earlier, okay, I'm getting too excited now, right? Like Robin and Lucia, they sort of like excite and challenge each other intellectually instead, right? Okay, and then, then girls, with Arthur, he's all bringing Lucy into the coterie of friends. He gets her all set up with a musical society, like that laughed her over and she gets trained as a singer and all. It's all intellectual stuff. But like, their relationship, mostly physical. Oh my gosh. Like, I wonder if that's what it was. What? Well, like, when I was reading the scenes with Lucy and Arthur, it was like, he was, he was like... Yeah, he was, like, sort of really obviously into Lucia, like, physically. And, like, I kind of, I don't know, I felt it sort of didn't go with the whole intellectual thing that they, like, bonded over, I guess. But that kind of, Chloe's thing kind of casts a different light on that, I think. But, like, for me, like, I kind of thought that it made sense that they'd, like, fall into being, like, super familiar, like, really quickly and, like, kind of, like, really affectionate really quickly, kind of because they can, you know, they, and they can't be affectionate usually with, not that, you know, people in the 1900s could be super affectionate with anybody, but, like, especially uh, a black person and a white person absolutely couldn't, you know, be touching in any way, you know, and, like, so, so... Given that they're both treated as outcasts, then the comfort of being with someone that's not just like you on the surface by virtue of being the same race during a time of oppression, but they were like the same in their interests, their love of music, their love of learning, you know, they're truly, truly similar. So, I mean, of course, they're going to feel really close from the get go. And like, I sort of felt that that, of course, that would fast track the physical side of things, you know? I just thought it was interesting, you know, just that like she and Robin were like an intellectual attraction and she and Arthur were like a physical attraction and you would have thought it'd be the other way around. Yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. And it's it's really hard to know who she is happier with. Yeah, like, and, and then she had like the drop with both of them and it was equally terrifying both times. Oh my God, and like both times it was like to do with the baby? Y- you are legitimately like someone trying to solve a serial killer conspiracy right now, Claude. Right? I am genuinely the smartest person in this room right now. You're alone, aren't you? You shut your mouth, Katie Murphy. Can you see me through the webcam, can you? Should I like cover it with oh, something? Don't, like, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, we, we do we do have to talk about the the baby. Um so so yeah, we know from the beginning of the story that like Lucy was pregnant at one point and nearly drowned. And uh, we know that she was involved with two different guys uh, who she was crazy about. And we know that motherhood features super heavily in the book. So there is at some point a baby. And um yeah, it's 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 not happy it's 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 hard the baby situation 
Yeah, like Lucia, she seems to kind of swing back and forth on the subject of the baby all the time. She's devastated, then she's getting on with her whole life thing, you know, but then but then she's devastated again, you know. I've read, though, that for people in that kind of situation, you know, that's kind of common because because you know you have to move on, but you can't, but you have to, but like you genuinely can't because it's so huge, but but then your life continues going on and it's, it's, it's that kind of, yeah, swinging back and forth, as you say, you know. But now, like, Clea, I thought the same as you. Like, if the baby is that important and the way she goes on, like, the baby's, like, the only thing that she can think of sometimes, then how is she able to, like, do other things and, like, make other decisions about her life that don't involve the baby? Like, I don't know. I think I get what Saoirse is saying. Like, if you had a, a grief, I guess we could call it, that strong, but at the same time, if you let it take you over, you would probably die. And like maybe not just die, but because you're part of this like marginalized group, you could be taken advantage of in some horrible way or something like raped or beaten or like, I don't know, trafficked into some horrible situation. That'd be like a whole lot to have knocking around in the back of your mind while you're dealing with this huge situation as well. Like if you have any will to survive, you'd have to shut down that pain, like numb it out every so often just to make it possible to like keep living you know yeah I guess I just kind of thought that there were good modders and bad modders like and good modders are like sort of consumed with love for their kids and like then bad modders don't care about them at all so then it was weird to see Lucia like make that yeah grief I suppose is is a word that we can use like make that part of her life like it takes over sometimes but only when it's possible for her to like do something with it if that makes sense like the rest of the time she just yeah numbs it out like you were saying yeah like I didn't yeah like I thought when you start a family like that's your priority like a chemical thing like changes and you can't think about or do anything else is that not what how that works so, like, you have a baby and your brain suddenly goes all transformer and turns into something else. And, like, you're not who you were before no more. You're just this kid's mom. Like, no, that's it. You're not Katie well, no like, more. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I like that. I should think not, Catherine. I should think not. But, but like, like, you know, folks that are, like, moms, yeah. Their, their kids are their main focus, right? Unless they're bad moms and then they're not focused on their kids at all right well I don't know how anyone could stay sane if it was like that you know like either you just look after your kids think about your kids put your kids first like every second of every day or else you're a bad mom like I don't I don't know that we'd have any women in any professions if that were the case there are women who choose not to have children search oh yeah (laughs) sorry um but yeah yeah no one would have kids then yeah if it meant in being that narrow a bracket I mean it's crazy to expect someone to give up all of themselves once they create another person. I mean, that's an amazing thing to do and it's a huge responsibility. But I mean, there are still other things to you, right? Yeah, like I get how a man would like do anton for their kids. Like if someone was going after them or like doing anton to hurt them, you'd actually rip them out of it. Like I get like that if someone looks crooked at Kylie or Grace. Like, dude, you got like that when that guy tried to egg clean at that time. Oh my God, you best believe I got like that at that point. Rick, who do you think he is throwing shit at one of my girls? I swear, like, I was going to stand by and let that shit happen. I don't think so. My hero. <laughs> no, like, I wouldn't be able to handle anyone going after one of you's girls. But, but, does that affect my personhood at all? 
personhood. Nice. Why, thank you, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> no, I remain myself in the midst of all this, do I not? I mean, I retain enough time to watch and favour all John Gook fan cams as and when they are published, do I not, girls? Your Instagram speaks for itself. I really, really need you to stop sending me gifts, man. I will do no such thing, Katie, because I remain me. I am Chloe. I am Chloe Cullen, defender of my friends, watcher of fan cams, tweeter of gifts. I am army. I am sister. I am friend. All of these things coexist and none of these things affect the other. All right? Chloe, I'm not even messing, but like you should 100% write a manifesto. Do not think I haven't started, Kleena. Do not think I have not started. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, okay, all right. So we're running low on time here. And by low, I mean way over. Um, so maybe if we do our quick Easter egg check-in, uh, but let's throw in maybe your favorite thing about the book as well. Also, can we just take a second just to appreciate the fact that we were able to link up Beyonce's Lemonade with with this this book? I mean, that's that's proper. It's it's I I really want to watch that film and read this book like at the same time. I wonder if there's like a weird Wizard of Oz Dark Side of the Moon thing that we could like sync up. What like what are you even talking about? None of those words make sense together. You are an actual cultural wasteland. <laughs> Why thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So before we start, before yeah, Katie, I don't know, hops on a bus and goes out to beat the shit out of Chloe. What? Like she could. She wouldn't be able to. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let's 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 check in on some Easter eggs. Kind of one last thought about the book situation. So yeah, for me, oh man, I just love that leg of lamb. I would really like for you guys when you're reading the book to, to watch out for that leg of lamb. And um what I really liked, oh, I just, I just thought the book was super visual, you know, or like more than that, like kind of just really real, like anything that was going on, I was like 100% there. And I think that's part of what has me like being transported back there, like loads since I finished it last night. Yes, last night. All right, Miss Thang, why don't you give me your one? Come on. Miss Thang, Jesus. Um, okay. Um, I really dug the chessboard. I thought the whole France situation where, like, Lucy was, like, volunteering as a nurse, that that was just really cool. I remember, I remember I read Gone with the Wind ages ago. Um, racist, Katie? (laughs) No, like, it is super racist. But, like, the scenes in the hospital, like, really reminded me of the scenes in Atlanta in Gone with the Wind when Scarlett and Melanie are, like, volunteering. But, like, they didn't treat any black casualties. Like, where were those people? Like, were they all just, like, left to die? Like, like probably like, and like this section sort of felt like it was, I don't know, reclaiming that. Like, I, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but like, I don't know. I just, I just really liked it is all. Um, for me, for me, it's that cake. I'm all about that cake. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I really liked like the way like mothers and like motherhood was like written up in there. Maybe, maybe because of my, you know, whole monologue there earlier. But it's all going in the manifesto. But like, <laughs> I don't know. The way like the mothers in the book were all like fighting some sort of demon, like one way or another. And they all found like equally crap ways of dealing with whatever their part of it was. Like that was, that was real cool. I don't really know like what I think about it. But like, it's just, it's been in my head loads since I finished it last week, Sarah. <laughs> whatever, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's what I'm left with kind of, you know. Plus, you know, Archer's a riot. Yeah. There we go. Mic drop. Either right, either right. <laughs> what? Cleaner. Oh, you she go. dropped a mic. How am I supposed to follow her? Um, 
Let's see. So, yeah, for me, it was a copy of, uh, I still don't know how to say this, but is it Bewick's, Bewick's um, History of Birds, which which is an actual Easter egg, I think. Uh, folks that listened last week will recognize that as the book Jane Eyre is reading in the opening chapter of her book. And it makes an appearance here, too. Um, yeah, that was really cool, I thought. Uh, and for me, I sort of thought, like, yeah, like emotional pain and like mental health and stuff. All, all of that was like showing up in the book really well like I just thought that like it's hard to do that stuff and not have the character be like needy or like overly dramatic or have the the pain be overblown but still be like real affecting you know here it was just it's just real upsetting like I just felt so so horrible for Lucia so many times during the book like so many times what she was going through was just so genuinely heartbreaking like it was just it was was heavy stuff but like again not impossible to read like sometimes you're reading a book like that and it's just thing after thing happening but here there it was real there were there were moments where she has relief and that makes the times where she's really suffering all the worse for it. it yeah it was just really well done I thought oh my god like you guys have genuinely gotten all the good ones um well except for the maid's uniform or the morning veil for the train or those petty fours actually. oh my god I actually wanted to like genuinely slap that wider oh my god what a prick <laughs> but for me for me I think it's Sybil's trouser suit. <gasps> like, I mean, that interaction yes. might be the most, holy crap, this person is my actual hero interaction I've read in, like, forever. Like, Sybil is genuinely, like, such a boss. And, like, the thing about it is, like, I didn't like her for ages in the book, and then suddenly she's just, like, this absolute legend. Plus, you know, that outfit served. Like Serena Actual Williams. <laughs> you nice. weirdo. <laughs> but, okay, um, so... <laughs> We're pretty much at the end here, folks. Um, Lucy's War is available on Amazon. The, the links to buy are on Susan's website, susanlanigan.com. Go buy, read. Oh my God, we can like totally like read White Feathers now as well. Oh my God. One thing at a bleeding time, Saoirse. Jesus. The convenience uh, store woman is super short, Chloe. You can definitely fit an extra book in for fun this week. For fun, she says. <laughs> You're like talking to the audience, man. That makes no sense. <laughs> but yes, the... Our next book will be Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata. Very excited about this one. You big, big nerd. Back at you, piccolo chick. <laughs> you gotta love dynamics. But uh, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. And uh, yeah, we, we'll catch you guys in two weeks' time. Oh my God, that's All right. Yay! Ireland is returning to work on 29th of June. Packed Lewis's. Busy footpaths. How are we going to social distance and stay safe? You will in your hoop. Here at hoopdreams.gov.ie, we're providing two-meter hula hoops for you to use to maintain a perfect government-recommended distance from others while on the go. Need to social distance while standing on the Lewis? You will in your hoop. Walking to work and need to clear the recommended distance around you on the footpath? You can in your hoop. Worried about getting a workout in with gyms closed and running trails littered with inexplicably used condoms? Don't worry, you will in your hoop. We've got custom weighted hoops available to get you toned and summer ready while keeping you at least two metres away from the nearest human being. Visit hoopdreams.gov.ie today. Social distance, you will in your hoop.